Good morning and happy Friday. Thank you so much for listening. I am so, so glad that you're here. Today is actually a very special day for me. Today marks 22 years around the sun. That's right. I'm a Pisces. It is my birthday. Big yay for me. Um, On the other hand, today is also the anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine. Not yay. Big not yay. Um, At this time, Ukraine and Russia are still at war. And I remember when I first saw the news that it was happening. And I remember when everybody was just so shocked that this was something that could happen in Europe. I don't know why, considering Europe has had quite a few wars in the last two centuries alone. But needless to say, um, I remember just wanting to understand more about Russia and Ukraine as countries. Um, I didn't really want to talk about the war per se, because obviously the war was a terrible, terrible thing. And it's still a terrible thing that is ongoing And there are a lot of Ukrainians that have been displaced from their homes as a result of this war. So I instead, I decided to ask two former classmates of mine, they're former classmates now because I'm graduated, Adam and Kat. Um, They are both of Eastern European descent from Russia and Ukraine, and they are both from multicultural households, which I think is really cool. They were so, so fun to talk to. And they were just willing to come on Zoom with me and talk about Russia and Ukraine's countries and Eastern European culture. And we delved into some history. Um, we had some jokes. It was a really good conversation. And I'm so, so happy that now I can finally share it with you guys on this very special episode. So without further ado, at the time of recording this, this had to be around, I think, April of 2022. So this conversation is obviously a year old, um, but it still has a lot of relevance for today. So I really hope you enjoy. My name is Janaya Alexandre, and this is Culture Shock. First of all, I just want to thank you both for agreeing to be here. Um, this is the first of this uh, this kind of thing that I'm trying to do. I'm really trying to understand and help others understand different facets of the way different countries work and the cultures and why they make certain and they have certain traditions or they make certain cultural decisions and stuff like that. Um, I specifically called you guys here because, you know, you guys grew up in your specific cultures and you guys grew up with very specific traditions and heritage and things like that. And I I actually said this to somebody like two days ago and I loved it. I basically want this to be a learning experience for me and a sharing experience for you. So with, and what's funny is I think both of you are in a dual heritage household. No. Uh, yeah. All right. So um, Kat, why don't you go first? Where are your parents from? Um, so my dad is from Brazil and my mom is from Russia. Very nice. And Adam? Uh, my dad is from Ireland and my mother, although she was born in Jersey, her family comes from uh, the Volinian Czechs, which are a Ukrainian minority. Very cool. Actually, so tell me about the, what do you, so what are they called again? I'm so sorry, I didn't hear that. 
That's fine. They're called the uh, the Voltinian checks. Voltinian uh, checks, like Czech uh, yeah, Republic. uh yeah. They oh. they're uh, people from the Czech uh, Czech Republic and Slovakia, uh, who left the Austro-Hungarian Empire for Ukraine, and have kind of just stayed there ever since. They're not very big. There's only about like I think at most twenty thousand of us. Oh wow. Uh, so, so it's pretty pretty rare. <laughs> I, I can see. So would you say, so do they still carry, like, do, would you say most of them still identify as like Czech or, or, or Slovakian or do they like, have they fully integrated into Ukrainian culture? They call themselves Ukrainian. Um, I would say uh, from, what I, from what I, like me talk to my family over there, uh, they go nationally Ukrainian, but ethnically they're still very uh, Czech and Slovakian. Okay. Um, it kind of in between the two because uh, a lot of ethnicity and nationality in East Europe is very complex and more so political than historical. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I hear about Ukraine, um, the truth be told, the most I know about Ukraine is Mila Kunis came from Ukraine, and I love Mila Kunis <laughs> and Borscht. <laughs> Lots of. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never had borscht and now I feel like I need to have borscht because every single Eastern European person I've met will talk about borscht. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, but it probably won't live up to the hype. Yeah, honestly, I don't really like it too much. (laughs) What is this borscht? Um, You can explain if you want. It can can really depend on where you're from. Like some places it's it's almost pot roast-like but uh i around like my family it's more of like a stew and it's not very it's not very flavorful it's just kind of like very thick beef water (laughs) so is it like so it's a so it's like meat and vegetables kind of like soggy in a pot yeah yeah okay all right all right that's cool a lot of a lot of a lot of them put like dill in it too like pickle yeah yeah. yeah, pickling things it's pretty popular over there. Interesting. I've never, I actually don't really like pickles. And my mother judges me for it heavily because she loves pickles. Um, so, <laughs> so I noticed, so both of you are familiar with borscht. So you said it's different for everybody depending on where you come from. So like, are there other variations usually? Uh, some, some countries do it a lot more like sour. Some do it more sweet. Some do it more salty. Uh, yeah I also I think too um like different families make it differently too like you know how like in like America people have like their own like recipes like for like chicken soup chicken noodle soup or whatever I feel like that's also kind of the same thing with like borscht and like other like eastern European cuisine too mm, okay so now I know maybe or maybe not try borscht <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. so Kat where does where does your mom come from <clears throat> So she's from um, Saratov. Um, she's from she's near the Volga region um, in Russia too. Um, and my dad is from Poche de Caldos in Brazil. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. My mom's from Saratov. Um, she's from a um, a smaller city called Angels, um, which means angels in German. And it's also Angel, like the dude, the, the communist dude. 
but uh yeah so that's where my mom's from from a smaller um smaller city i've been there a couple times uh it's it's you know it's just it's russia <laughs> well for for the purpose of this podcast um i have no idea what russia <laughs> is, is like what it's about i, no I don't idea. know honestly when people ask me how to describe it, it's kind of hard to describe it i usually just show them pictures or like i talk about like movies and i'm like oh like have you seen this movie it's like like this um there's this movie called uh gosh i forgot what it was called but it's like i'm gonna search it up really quick is that okay yeah Yeah. no oh yeah so there's this movie called um lilia forever which is i think it's um it's a swedish film but it's about a uh a russian girl who like it's a very very sad movie it's free on youtube it's very very sad um it's about this girl whose like mother goes away or whatever and Mm -hmm. she goes to america i think and I may be wrong. I may be a little wrong, but I know her mother leaves her and she leaves too, but she goes to um, Sweden instead of um, America. And so she's basically gets caught up in um, human trafficking. It's really, really sad. But the, um, I think it is like, it captures like how Russia looks very well, like pretty well. Um, it's a lot of like apartment, like Soviet apartment buildings and stuff like that's where like my my grandparents live in like an apartment building with like huge metal doors. Like that's that's how Russia looks. And everyone has like a summer house, like a little garden. Everyone has like their little um like every grandma has like their dachi or like their like summer house with the garden and people like swim in Volga. But um I don't know, Russia is like so huge, like everywhere looks pretty different. But I feel like one of the main um similarities of like all like the cities and stuff or like the soviet like apartment buildings and like that post-soviet look like it's it's still like around and stuff other maybe not in like uh, moscow or st petersburg and like bigger cities more like global um international cities but yeah it all has that like post-soviet feel to it very so what does because uh, I've read about the Soviet mm-hmm. Union and I've read about, you know, the USSR and and that entire time period in history books. But, you know, it's always fun, especially on TV. Like um, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel um, and I've seen different shows that feature like like Eastern European families. I never want to say outright that they came from a specific place. I just assume mm-hmm. it's European and they'll talk about the Iron Curtain and things like that. And I'm like, man. That must be like a very tumultuous time to live in because from what I remember of the Cold War, especially the way it, it affected people was it was a lot of, it wasn't even just outright war. It was just a lot of tension. Like at any point, a, there was just a pin that was going to drop and everything could just change for the worse. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I wasn't alive. <laughs> but of course, of course definitely. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the effects of the Cold War are still kind of like were kind of lingered for a lot after. I mean, like Russia and America do have like tension and and there's still kind of like this like tension with like the word like communism and things like that. Like there's still kind of like um, like remainders of like the like the the Red Scare, I feel, and like in America, like in America, like there's still kind of like a, like communism is still kind of like a bad word or, or like Russia's still kind of like an evil like country and like in America and like and 
things like that. You know, I still think that there's like effects from like the Red Scare and like the Cold War in America and, and in, in um, Western societies in general. No, I will agree. I mean, my there are certain stereotypes that go with Europe, but I think specific stereotypes that follow specific countries, like for example, Russia and Germany have a very big stereotype of everybody super tall and super scary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, Russians, they've, they've lived through, through so many regimes rising and falling, like nothing can, can touch them, nothing can stand <laughs> them. They're just like, just really, really tough people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, I do think some Russians are scary. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, well, uh, I think the culture in Russia is a little different than American culture, especially down here in the, like, down in the South, too. I don't know, like, Florida, like, Central and South Florida aren't, like, um, typical Southern American culture, but, I mean, we're still South, and we still have, like, Southern hospitality and things like that, sure. and in Russia, that's not really, like, a thing, like, you don't smile at strangers, like, that's, like, something you just don't do, like, people are gonna look at you like you're a crazy person, like, small talk with a stranger is, like, what are you doing, like, in Russia, so it's, like, a very... <laughs> yeah (laughs) and it's not that people are cold it's just that it's just not their culture to be like very warm like right off the bat you know what I mean they express affection different yeah they do and and, and in Russia too like and whenever I visit like my mom's friends or whatever whenever she goes and visit her friends they always bring like gifts with them to their houses like they always bring like tea or like like uh flowers or cake or like something small they always bring like a gift whenever they visit someone's house even if it's like nobody's birthday like they always bring something for their friends and they always like share things and they always share food and they always feed each other and that's kind of how we like display our affection and our like um our warmth and our culture like that's our culture's like hospitality is just like like gift giving and being there for your friends but it's not so much you're not so open to strangers as like uh, americans are i think so then how do you make friends in Russia? Because it sounds like with strangers, you're like keeping them at arm's length, but with friends, you're just like every, you're just really, really close. So where does, how do you navigate that? Uh, <laughs> uh, for for a lot of, um, Russia and Ukraine both have a lot of minority groups. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, within, you kind of just stick within your group, within like your village, within your a block, for example, I guess you could say, talk about the cities. Um, and within those within those blocks, you're kind of a larger extended family. Um, so it's really a lot easier to be open to people who, you know, you grew up around um, or people who are like from your from your uh, your village or hamlet, I guess you could say almost because yeah. uh, uh, my experience is a lot more rural, like I I've never stepped foot from like any of the cities like like Kharkiv or Kiev or uh, right. Sevastopol or anything. Um, and there's a really big contrast between between what uh, Katarina was saying, and what I've experienced. Because okay. <laughs> uh, the rural rural villages, um, like a city in Russia is kind of just like how you'd imagine most cities to be, you know, at least from what I understand. Uh, but like the rural areas of like Russia, Ukraine, like a lot of in Belarus, like those areas, mm-hmm. it's almost like going into like a, a time portal to like the, the 18th, 17th century because a lot of them still live the same. A lot of them don't have like electricity or plumbing. Yeah, I or agree with that. Even I, cars. I think 
I agree with that. I think even like the cities too, it's like stepping into like the nineties or like the eighties, like it's stepping into like a, or most mainly the nineties. Cause the nineties is when like the Soviet Union fell and like things like kind of like got, you know, messed up, but it, it is like their, their cities and their, and their villages are, are definitely time capsules, I think too. And Russia is so huge. And, and Eastern Europe is just like, has a lot of different like um, uh, ethnic groups and it is, it is very different. And it is like, like you drive like an hour and it looks pretty different and there's completely different <laughs> people but it, it does like honestly I feel like for Russia the country as a whole does look like not as it isn't as developed as like western countries at all or like modernized other than for like major cities I mean do you think that's just because they want to preserve history or do you think it was intentional because I know a lot of everywhere in Europe it's really just a lot of preserved sites and they're very very conscious about not tearing things down that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. I think it's mostly just because a lot of East Europe uh, is just so massive that it's hard to develop Um, like uh, the, I think the best way to describe a lot of a lot of like Ukraine and Russia is um, massive seas of nothing with pockets of like mega cities. Like you think of like Siberia, which is just like the size of the U.S. for example, but just pure tundra for hundreds of thousands of miles of just nothing. And then there's just like massive mega cities with like two to five million people just in the middle of an ocean of infinite trees wow i mean in a way that kind of sounds cool because if you ever want to get out of the city you just go and drive like 30 minutes to an hour and you're in the middle of nowhere like you're straight up in the boondocks i mean yeah uh you'd never be found and it has happened before actually plenty of times but i also like what you what you said about the rural setting adam about you know go about how villages can be very close together it really reminds me because my parents are from haiti and my mother tells me stories all the time because she grew up in the capital port-au-prince and she would tell me about how people would come up to her that she's that she swears she's never met and they'll discipline her for doing something that they didn't think was right and she'll go back and tell her mother and they were like and she'll be like well they were right to discipline you because you shouldn't have been doing that you know like the village (laughs) very village raising the child kind of it kind of thing and I grew up the same way you know I was I grew up with my mother but I also grew up with my grandmother and her mother and my grandmother's sisters and their children so everybody was kind of disciplining everybody um you know I call them they're all mother figures to me I call them all mom and at one point I had to switch it up because I called for mom and they all turned around and I just I think that really that really resonated with me the whole village raising or just Mm -hmm. kind of being close together you know mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's especially strong for uh minority groups in the, in a lot of like ukraine and russia just because um it's so massive and hard to administrate that a lot of them just kind of become um self-governing sort of uh communities yeah. like um i'd actually probably say like the best description i've ever heard of this was from a uh, fiddler on the roof where uh uh, it's about like a, a Jewish village in uh, Ukraine. And um, the way uh, the main character described it is um, we don't bother them. And so far they don't bother us. Um, Cause they kind of, it's just like uh, you have like a village with like, say like 
half the village is uh, ethnic uh, Russian, the other half is, say, for my example, ethnic Czech, and they're just kind of, they'll, they'll be together, but they won't interact, if that makes sense. They coexist, kind mm -hmm. of, cohabitate. I'd say cohabitate's probably more accurate. Okay, interesting. But you know what, that does bring me to my next thing. So I'm going to be very honest. Most people that I've met that are from Russia or Ukraine are Jewish. And I want to know, is, is that like the predominant religion there? Or is that just a, or is that just happened to be everybody that I meet is just Jewish? <laughs> um, no, the, the, um, the, the dominant, the predominant religion in Russia at least is um, Eastern Orthodox. Mm -hmm. um, is that a subset of Christianity? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's uh, the oldest form of Christianity, I think, or one of the oldest forms of Christianity. It's, it used to be unified with Catholicism until about until about uh, I think about nine uh, hundred ish and split off uh, into two separate directions. Um, I am Roman Catholic uh, for uh, uh, purpose of disclosing my biases, <laughs> but um. As, as for like your question about uh, Jews and Jewish people in, Ru in Russia and Ukraine, yeah. um, it's just that it's more so that a lot of uh, Jews have left Russia over the many years due to things like pogroms, which were um, uh, basically minor, I don't want to say minor, but uh, minor in comparison to say like the Holocaust, they were uh, Jewish genocides that would occur periodically. Oh um, and uh, it's actually really, it's actually something I've done a lot of research on because I thought it was really, I'm really very fascinated by um, the history of East Europe. Yeah. Um, for a long period in Russia, they had a, a declaration called the Pale, which was a line drawn on a map of Russia that said, Jews cannot settle past this point. Um, and that, law, that line was drawn about at the modern border of Russia. And so you'd have large areas of, say, Poland and Ukraine and Lithuania that would have... Um, massive proportions of Jewish population, like some of them even have majorities actually. Um, and once like anti-Semitism anti flared up, they would leave for like the US uh, or in the nineties uh, when the USSR fell, right. there was a massive exodus of them to uh, Israel. Well, that makes sense because that by then they had established that Israel would be the Jewish state. Mm -hmm. And they were finally able to leave. Wow. Uh, at least more easily. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, from an from an objective point of view, I thought I would have thought that Judaism was very, very prominent in Eastern Europe, just because, and not even just from Russia and Ukraine, because I've also met um, people from Poland, and they were either they were either Jude Jewish themselves, or they were raised Jewish, or. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just thought it was a very prominent thing. I thought, you know, post-Holocaust, people just decided Eastern Europe was the place. Besides Israel, we were just going to congregate right here, um, especially because I don't really meet a lot of a lot of Jewish people, especially in Central Florida. It's very, um, I would say it's few and very few and far between. Mm -hmm. Granted, post-quarantine, I don't meet that many people at all. Uh, well, it definitely was more prominent uh, pre-Holocaust with areas like Lithuania actually being called... Uh, being called the Jerusalem of the East, uh, or Russia actually was the first country to have a um, territory with uh, a territorial homeland, quote, quote, for the Jews in uh, far Eastern Siberia. 
and still present as a as a uh, region in Russia called the Jewish Autonomous um, Oblast or region. Man, Adam's got the facts. <laughs> I, I I do a lot. I do a lot of reading. Historian right here. <laughs> So do you want to dabble in like anthropology or history or anything like that, Adam? Um, I have actually taken a good few anthropology and uh, sociology courses. However, uh, my major is actually Spanish and my minor is Italian. Huh. I'm, I'm a big uh, linguistics guy, guy. You know what? I have a friend who's also a big linguistics girl as well. She's Cuban, <laughs> but she studied French and Italian. So now she's like trilingual. And we were supposed to actually go to Paris together like three years ago. And this was like right when 2020 hit and it just was a downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I um, agree. Yeah, I'm grateful <laughs> to have her friendship though. One day I'll get to, I'll get to Paris, it's okay. But um, so I'm curious then, so what kind of, uh, what kinds of parts of your heritage were you, did you actually grow up with? Like what, what did you know or if there was anything that you were like, oh, we do this because my mother comes from this place. And for some reason, we just do this this way. Um, for me, uh, I went to um, an Eastern Orthodox church growing up. Um, it was a very small church because there's not a lot of Eastern Orthodox yeah. people in Kissimmee, Florida. Um, but yeah, so I went to church Eastern Orthodox Church, which I feel like for me at least was the most exposure I had to uh, typical Russian culture, uh, specifically because my mom is not like she always says herself that she's not like a stereotypical Russian, that she's not very like her. She was always she always talks about how when when even when she lived in Russia, she was always very different from everyone else. And what is and she dressed differently? Um, I I think like, exactly like it doesn't really mean it like it doesn't there is no stereotypical Russian everyone's different but like for her she wasn't very she's not very she's never very like um culturally she was never culturally and in, like super involved um in, in her Russian identity or whatever she just didn't really care for like traditions or 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 um her like nationality or culture like she just did whatever growing mm-hmm. up um, I think maybe because she had an accent. So I was like, oh, she has an accent. That's, that's Russian part of, I don't know. But she spoke Russian growing up. My grandparents would come and uh, visit a lot. So that was a lot of Russian, uh, expo- like cultural exposure from my Russian side. And like the grandma's cooking and cleaning and oh and God. she's telling the other women in the family to cook and clean yep. and and she's like letting my brother slide, like letting him not cook and clean, things like that. You know, like typical uh, family. Basically, no matter where you come from, your grandma is always going to tell you you'll be an embarrassment if you don't cook and clean for your exactly, <laughs> exactly. Literally, every country is like that. I think, oh. like everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had a lot of exposure from just like, uh, just like the Russian community too that my mom met in um in America and just like speaking Russian and and going out and like partying and having a huge New Year's party because New Year's is a huge deal for Russians like New Year's is like more of a big deal than like Christmas at least for my mom's family and her friends like they go all out for New Year's um and it's true Russians Russians do know how to party (laughs) 
Oh, I've heard Russians not a party. They, they, oh, yeah. yeah. There's a stereotype. You can't out drink a Russian. <laughs> yeah. But um, so do you guys like usually decorate and there's like gold everywhere and you're wearing those tacky glasses with the stars that say 2022? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah, to, to an extent. Yeah, my, my mom definitely does. Um, when I ever go to other people's houses, they definitely have like a bunch of decorations and stuff. And yeah, they definitely they definitely do go all out um, for New Year's. It's a, it's a big deal. Um, and they make like um, like salads and stuff like olivier which is like a russian salad uh, it's like a russian potato salad i think it was actually made by a french man but i think he made it in russia or um or yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> but like everyone makes like food everyone brings food everyone makes like um there's salads and like there's just one salad i forgot what it's called um i don't know if uh What's, this, what's your name adam i'm sorry oh yeah it's adam yeah, yeah i don't know if adam knows what it's called but it's like a uh it's like a dish with herring in it and it's like purple and it's got herring and egg oh my and gosh we oh, have it sounds familiar but i don't know salad in haiti too well, <laughs> <laughs> with beets it has beets yeah, it might be, oh, it yeah. Really <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe we've gone this far if i'm mentioning beets yeah. <laughs> that's like it has like beets and herring and i hate it i hate it so much but my mom loves it um it's an acquired yeah. taste um yeah it definitely is an acquired taste i, I haven't acquired it have never made <laughs> a salad with fish in it that's new but i've definitely had like beet potato salad and i honestly think it tastes fine my mother hates mm. it though like mm. literally hates it mm. what about you adam uh well, uh, like my community is, is uh, my experience wasn't uh, very like as much as she had because uh, I mostly grew up with uh, my dad's influence. So I got a lot of uh, Irish culture and um, <laughs> and Irish experience and, and stuff like that. Um, oh, okay, that just means I'll call you back when I talk about Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know plenty. I know a lot about Ireland, <laughs> um, but uh uh, it, it wasn't really until my parents, uh, they split up about, uh, seven-ish years ago, I think at this point, oh. uh, that I really got more into the Eastern European aspects of my family. Cause my mom really was, uh, getting to really find herself again and, uh, right. explore her identity more and ex or not explore, but, uh, ex uh, be more open about her identity and stuff. Okay. So you weren't like as interested before your parents split um i wouldn't really say interest i wouldn't say interested i'd say more so um exposed to it because my my dad was a pretty domineering kind of guy like uh any any sort of like eastern european food he really wouldn't wouldn't eat uh for him it would just be potatoes turnips and some form of meat you know i've never pictured irish food but i did not picture that i'd say you're better off <laughs> not picturing it <laughs> oh, oh, okay. uh, yeah, not a lot of flavor on either side of my family. I think that's why I got into Latin American studies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> south of the border, yeah. you got so much I, flavor going on. You no, know, I yeah. definitely appreciate 
the Brazilian cuisine more than Russian cuisine. <laughs> you know what? You bring me to the next question I had. So what's it, what was it like growing up in a dual heritage household? Because, you know, on some levels, I mean, people talk a lot about interracial um, couples and how you need to make sure you expose your children to both races. And I don't think people really talk about the intercultural aspects as much because at face value, if two people look to be the, about the same skin tone, I feel like people don't really observe that as much. Um, but what was it like for you guys? Um, it's, uh, I guess the simplest way I could put it is <laughs> you'll never really be any of them. Like you're always going to be, yeah. uh, too American, like for my case, I'd always be too American for the for my Irish family, too uh, American for um, East European family, too uh, too non-American for my <laughs> for uh, people in America. Like I actually had to go through accent therapy uh, when I moved down to Florida really? uh, because I had such a thick, strong um, horror of an accent that was <laughs> a uh, Bronx accent mixed with a uh, Irish accent. Oh, you're and a very, very, very rural Irish accent, too. Oh, you grew up in New York? Uh, yeah, I was born in New York and I moved down when I was about six. Me too. Well, actually, I was born in Vegas, but I grew up for most, for the most part in Long Island before moving down here when I started middle school. Yeah, I was in the Bronx. Dang, you were you grew up rougher than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was true. Island, That's true. It does not happen in Long Island. Are you, okay, I'm just going to stay right here right now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the only the only like uh, pretty much the only school in my neighborhood was the uh, like local like Catholic school, and boy were they were they rough. Yes. Uh, especially because I was left-handed. Yeah, I've heard about Catholic school. I'm really glad I never went. It's all true. Dang, that's worse. <laughs> that's worse. So you went to speech, wait, it wasn't speech therapy. It was accent therapy. Uh, yeah, I think the correct term, the, like the official term was accent correction therapy or speech correction therapy, one of the two. I mean, what is an accent but a way of speaking? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we have an accent. And when we, if I were to step anywhere outside of the United States and speak any other language, it would be still pronounced as much as I try with my linguistic tongue twisters. It would still, you know, <laughs> I, would still be, I would still have a big flag on top of my head with the Star Spangled Banner. So what's an accent but a way of speaking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think for me, um, growing up in a um, multicultural household, um, I'm actually, I'm really thankful for it because I think it gave me like a very, uh, it gave me, it kind of broadened like my perspectives and I, like, I, I feel like I understand uh, different cultures like more easily than some of my like, um, like American counterparts. And I kind of understand, especially since Russia and Brazil have very different cultures. And, and and so does America. So it's like, oh, I'm like living in America, which has a completely different culture from Russia, and also a completely different culture from Brazil. So I, I was, I, so it helps me kind of like understand like uh, cultural perspectives, and um, and I think like also um, kind of like the same like how Adam said, where you're not like you you're not you, you're never enough of like 
who you are, I guess. Like I'm never like Russian enough. I'm never Brazilian enough. But honestly, like I feel like I like kind of like grown to realize that like that's okay. Like I'm half and half. That's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to be Russian enough for Russian people. I don't have to be Brazilian enough for Brazilian people. Like I am who I am and that's okay. And um so yeah, I'm really happy I came to that conclusion. But also my parents are they do look very different. Like my dad is definitely darker than my mom. Um and so that kind of was like uh always like um kind of like a thing that like kind of stood out that my dad was like like a lot darker than my mom even though I'm very fair I'm pretty fair I'm very fair skinned um so I didn't really ever feel too like related I didn't feel it as related to my dad's side as my mom's side because my dad's side does does look very different from me and they did look very different for me. And like, I never felt super um, close with my Brazilian side at all, which yeah, kind of like makes me sad. sad. Um, I think I remember you describing him one time, a small Brazilian man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was very small. Um, but I, I think the number one thing, like how I kind of said like a lot already is that it definitely helps you understand different perspectives and different cultures. And you kind of don't, like a lot of people, I, you don't realize that a lot of people don't know anything about other countries, especially like people in America. Like, mm-hmm. cause we're very like- um, Far away from everything. Far away from everything. And we're very like American, like not- uh, We're very- like American centric. We're very like focused on ourselves. Yeah, we're pro yeah. United States. I will say I, I observe that as well. Yeah, we're like, we, I feel like a lot of Americans don't realize how- different other countries really are and how different other people really are and how like you know it's like I feel like a lot of Americans tend to think the world kind of revolves around them and especially like honestly sometimes I think that's way too I'm like well everything's important if it's happening in America it's important but that to everyone but that's just like mm-hmm. not true and being part of like being first gen American and being part of like an immigrant household like you realize it a lot especially growing around other growing up around other immigrants and other um first gen americans too yeah i will say growing up i did get a sense um and maybe you guys did too like there was a sense of you were american at school and all cultural differences you might experience in your day-to-day life stay strictly at home so like you're not speaking the language of your household you're not you know if nobody asks you're not telling you know you try Mm -hmm. to get your parents to make you like pb and j or send you to school with some lunchables because you don't (laughs) want your parents to make this traditional food that's going to stink up the cafeteria like you know those kinds of things and I feel like now it's becoming a little bit more okay to share different aspects of your culture especially now but I mean we're not in school so it doesn't even matter but like (laughs) I definitely felt that when I was younger like I could not talk about being Haitian I was just black at school that's it Mm -hmm. uh I guess actually a a pretty good topic you get from there is that a lot of uh countries uh in Europe uh and east europe are very very diverse but their diversity isn't really visible in the same way the u.s is like in the u.s you can very clearly see if someone's white if someone's hispanic if someone's black uh in like uh in like ukraine you you can only really see you can't really tell if someone's like ukrainian if they're russian if they're romanian just yeah. from looking at them like um i actually have a friend who uh moved for, moved from russia in about two when he was like 
uh, about the same age as me, about six, like 2008. And he had never seen a, a Black person before moving to the US. Oh my gosh, that uh, is true. I had a friend who told me the same experience. She went to visit um, one of her friends. I forgot in which country. I want to say maybe Switzerland. And But even so, a lot of those places, they're not used to seeing a lot of people of color, which mm-hmm. is which blows my mind if you think about it, because I grew up, all I see are people of color. (laughs) And, you know, I've heard the, I've heard stories and things like that, but I I don't necessarily think that that's an overt bad thing. I just think that means a lot of, there's a lot more people that need to go and see, you know, that Ukraine Mm -hmm. and, oh gosh, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) I did not even know there was a train in this vicinity um but you know what I'm saying like I I feel like in a way I can't really fault them for it because you know I don't think a lot of people think when they're immigrating places I should go to Russia you know yeah I'm I'm fleeing the Haitian earthquake where could I go you know what let me go to Russia because that just sounds so great you know I'm tired of these (laughs) of these warm the warm sun and these lovely beaches I want I want I want to feel pain I want hard I want hard mode like I heard it of, now, I are the summers, what are the summers like in Russia? Because whenever I hear about Russia, I hear about snow. And whenever I see anything about Russian TV, it's usually snow. It can really wildly depend on where you are. Like, yeah, um, Russia uh, has, is huge. It's like the biggest country ever. And it has like, um, like so many different climates and just like that little country. Like they have like, mm-hmm. it gets warm very warm in russia like where i when i would visit like my mom i thought my mom my grandparents like my mom's side um like they kind of live like near like uh like kind of like more southern in russia but um i would always visit in the summer so my association with russia has always been very warm very hot it would and especially if they were like near the lake so it, it would get like very humid kind of muggy um like but yeah, I was, it was like almost, it was like basically as hot as Florida when I would go. And I was like, it would be so hot and like crazy hot. So, and I've never been in the winter though, but my like grandparents have sent me photos and then it'll be like super, super hot summer. And then like, like a foot of snow, Dang. like in the winter. That sounds like Yeah, a- the, uh, the stories about Russian, about <laughs> Russian winter are very, very true. Um, however, like when summer comes, it can really depend like in South Russia and Ukraine, uh, around the area where like my family would be, um, it's, it's a lot of like prairie almost like you just see in the U S like a lot of Mm -hmm. open fields, farmland, et cetera, some rolling Hills. It would, it would just be like very, it'd be nice. It'd be very, uh, calm weather, uh, lovely, lovely views. Uh, you go somewhere else, like say like. The snowier parts like in the north of like north russia or siberia it would just uh all that ice would basically melt and make just massive swamps like if you, you, you'd like you think like everglades type swamp that's what it but is. like it stretches for like the entirety of the u.s oh gosh it is insane <laughs> well i'll have to remember that if i go to russia in the summer you but- have to go in the north but um, on the subject of Ukraine, though, I also notice a lot of, I don't know, I feel like when it comes to speaking about Russia and Ukraine, you kind of speak, I feel like people speak about them as if they're interchangeable. And I feel like that's a 
I, I can't say whether or not that's actually true. It's probably not. But at the same time, I wonder where that came from, because I know Ukraine was a state of Russia at some point. However, people's I, like a lot of Ukrainians will still say, you know, we speak, like, for example, there's still a Ukrainian language, which blows mm -hmm. my mind because a lot of the Ukrainians I meet, they speak Russian more than they speak Ukrainian. Like even um, to, to come full circle, Mila Kunis is from Ukraine, but she speaks Russian in interviews. Mm -hmm. So it was a, so it was, that's always kind of been confusing for me. I feel like if you, I feel like they would be more proud of what they've accomplished, especially since they gained an from Russia and they've had all of these things and they have a wonderful what it seems like president right now mm -hmm. so what is how does that how how does one navigate that um so for the for, I guess if you want more of the origins of that that would be going back like almost millennia uh because Russia was at first unified under uh, a series of very small like tribes and kingdoms called the, the Kiev and Rus uh who united Russia under uh, the city of Kiev in modern day Ukraine. And eventually that kind of formed into modern, the modern Russia we know today with the Russian empire and the Soviet Union. And for a long time, the region of Ukraine was actually called, um, well, actually, first it's Russia, there's Belarus, which just means white Russia. And uh, uh, I believe Ukraine used to be called uh, Little Russia or Micro Russia. Mm. Or Ruthenia as well. Is another name for it as well. I the Russia I have seen on the map today, I could never call it micro a micro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why they put it on Ukraine. I once thought Russia was a continent because it was so big. And imagine my surprise when my social studies teacher looks at me like I grew another head and goes, No, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but yeah, do you ever feel like Ukrainian culture is kind of consumed by Russian culture. Or do you ever just kind of think, hey, it's it's kind mm -hmm. of there? There are so many similarities. It's easy to just kind of be like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. I'd say the position's more similar to say um, a, a Puerto Rican, for example, to the U.S., where uh, they have their own distinct culture, but it is very much so dominated by Russian pop culture uh, and Russian culture as a as a whole, really. Yeah. Um, but I guess I could say I feel that at double because I'm actually a minority within that country. That is true. You see, I didn't even think about the minorities mm -hmm. in Ukraine. I also think it depends on who you ask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> people are very opinionated. A lot of people think very different things when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. They love to um, fight. They do love to fight. But honestly... Um, the, the cultures are, are very similar. A lot of Eastern European mm -hmm. cultures are very similar. A lot of post-Soviet countries are very similar. Um, it's just how, like, you know, it's like you, if you're in the Soviet Union, you kind of, like, you know, it's just how things are. Things do become very similar. And, and Ukraine and Russia have, you know, they were, like, basically the same country. Right? I'm pretty sure Russia was Ukraine first. Um, like, there, so it kind of is, like, it's just very... Uh, it's a very po politically, it's a very touchy subject, um, but I do think that in America, um, a, like at least like what I observe from like my mom and her friends, and like uh, at least like amongst the older generations, that like Ukrainians and Russians and um, other like post-Soviet 
uh, countries, like they they get along pretty well in America. Like they kind of have like the they're, they're like are kind of in the same communities. They're like all like post-Soviet, all like mm-hmm. Eastern European or or post-Soviet, and they kind of have like that like um it's that that is what unifies them in America at least. So they kind of have like a similar culture in America, but in in their own separate countries like yeah it's it's i i think ben uh wait is it not ben adam <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's adam sorry it's fine. um i think adam mentioned in the beginning um that uh a lot of like like the, even though they're like a lot of like post-soviet and eastern european countries are not very like different in terms of like uh genetic makeup or whatever but it's political it's a very political your ethnicity and your nationality is very political Mm -hmm. in uh, eastern europe i think i think so think about because in a way i mean the way i've always viewed my nationality and my heritage it's always been kind of just part of who i am you know Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. i think especially in recent times it's become a little bit more radicalized especially because you know especially with racial tensions in the United States, um, you know, it does become more politicized, but even growing up, it was just, I am Haitian American or I'm Mm -hmm. American born to two Haitian immigrants. That's just my identity. You know, when I go Mm -hmm. home from speaking English at school, I'm going to have my great grandmother, my mama speaking to me in only Creole because she doesn't know how to speak English. That's just how it is. I, I never, it, it kind of blows my mind in a sense, how, something that could be just personal to you could be seen as political to other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I, I personally attribute that due to, uh, in Europe, nationality is a very strong thing. Uh, in the US, it's um, it's a lot more, uh, I guess you could say toned down. We still have a lot of, you know, nation- nationality and nationalism in the US, but uh, we don't really have anyone to take it out on. In Europe, uh, they've, a lot of experience taking it out in others. Um, so for a lot of, a lot of uh, people uh, who you identify with determines like what your country should look like, for example, or uh, who, uh, who you're allowed to, you know, what borders, you, what borders you have, what country you're in. Um, like uh, a lot of Russians do live in East Ukraine and uh, that was Russia's main reason for uh, invading to uh, to uh, satiate their national the nationalist desires to have all the Russians within their borders, right. um, at the detriment of the Ukrainians within those areas. Well, I feel like <clears throat> I understand the culture a little bit more. Now I feel more confident to use the 10 survival phrases I once learned from a lady at the hair salon. (laughs) Yes. What would those phrases be? Ooh, this is my favorite thing to do. This is my party trick. Okay, ready? Mm -hmm. I know Butstrova, which is bless you if somebody sneezes. I know um, Straki, which is like, I think that's how you say like, what's up? Like, it's not like Privyet. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Yelvitsova. I don't think mm. I said right. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm really trying. I'm working from memory. Uh, <laughs> or ooh, Izveniche. Oh, that excuse me. 
Yeah. Right. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said that was like, if you're saying like, I'm not going to do it. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, noche. Mm-hmm. I think that's good night. How many am I mm-hmm. at? Is anybody counting? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I have ADHD. Six. I don't count. Damn. Was that six um, or five? <laughs> five. Okay. Uh, Malinky. Malinky. A little. Mm-hmm. Malinky. Yeah. Yaparotki. Um, I think that's. I'm. I think I'm trying to say like Yaparotki. I think she said that was. I'm fine. Like if somebody. Yeah. Says, um gakvi or gakvi which i think is mm-hmm. how, how are you so gakvi yeah but okay um and then oh i'm gonna get this really bad um if they beat sola that's so funny if they beat sola, yeah I, mean, yeah I can't i can't correct you because i only know about three phrases it's just privet Spasivo, which is uh, thank you, and Yanis uh, Nayruski, which means I don't speak Russian. I don't speak Russian. Oh, it's I funny because it's Yogobrim <laughs> Bumglinski. That's funny because that's exactly how I am with Portuguese. Like, the only thing I know how to say in Portuguese is like, now follow Portuguese, which is like, yeah. I don't speak Portuguese. Well, those are these survival <laughs> phrases. If you ever go someplace, you need to be able to tell them that you don't speak the language and where's the bathroom. Oh. Well, I just remembered another one, which is uh, uh, which is what country am I in? Ooh. How do you, what is it again? Uh, uh, I'm not sure if I spaced the words correctly. I'm not gonna remember that. That's long. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I almost, I actually almost minored in Russian, and I'm actually pretty glad I didn't. Mainly because I feel like Russian is one of those languages you have to dedicate like all your time, a lot of time to. Like, yeah. You cannot minor in it and then major in something else. Like this needs to be your full time job. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh... It's definitely out of my scope because I like to focus more on the romance languages because those are the ones I really like. Uh, not only Russian, that, also, Russian's very scary. Well, yeah, but you usually pronounce romance words the way you see them. Like most, like Spanish, most of those words, mm-hmm. you can usually pronounce it just by reading it unless you're like really, really just not yeah. bilingual at all. Like and it, uh, for the sake of explanation, French will be omitted. French <laughs> is not that bad. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, I almost I almost passed intermediate French. Uh, I didn't. I was put in that class by accident, actually. Really? Yeah, I apl- I uh, tried to do French one, elementary French, oh. and I ended up getting put into intermediate French one. No. Okay. Um, I had an eighty-five for the entirety of the class, and then the final came, and I flunked that, and so I'm not gonna retake it because it's too much effort. I'm so sorry. You should have. You should have been like, "This is not the right class." Because honestly, I didn't notice. If you get the foundations of French, I really feel like you're set up more for success. Because I think a lot of reasons people they shy away from French is because, unlike Spanish, 
you know, French doesn't sound the way that it looks or even like people will read French really well and then they'll hear and they're like, man, this is not what I thought Mm -hmm. this was. And I, but, and it does, I think like Russian French does take a lot more of your time as opposed to learning a a, a more like very easier to learn or pick up language, especially because we live in Florida, everybody speaks Spanish in central Florida. Mm -hmm. If if anybody listens to this and they don't live in Florida, let me just tell you right now, it is very, very Latino friendly, very. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. even the targets have a bilingual signage. No, for sure, for sure. So, um, but I I will say, I I could see how French could be a little bit difficult, but I am biased, I, I think French, once you get the foundations, I think it's easy to go up from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you have a very close base to work off of. Like I'm, I'm, I'm studying Spanish and Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've studied Spanish far longer than Italian, so Italian was a lot easier to get into. Uh, I'd, I'd imagine uh, you said uh, you speak uh, Creole, Haitian Creole. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Uh, which is pretty, very much so close to uh, uh, French. Well, it's it's a mixture of languages actually because mm-hmm. a lot of it is derived is it's derived from French because especially during the, the revolution the Haitian revolution they kind of broke down French words that the that the slave masters and their families would use and they would basically use it to communicate without them being able to know what exactly they're saying and so it kind of started off like that and then as as Haiti became more prominent for the time that it was and people were immigrating and emigrating and all these different things, I think a lot of things would get put in to the language as things does. Cause I think Rom- in Romanian's the same mm. type of way. I mean, Romanian is technically a romance language which I would have never ever mm. figured from hearing it um, because of how much Slavic influence is in it. But um, like, for example, there are a few Portuguese words in Haitian Creole and depending on which part of the island you're in, you're gonna hear more. Um, I think the capital because of it, I think we just sound a little, I think the, the Creole that my family speaks, I think it just sounds a little bit more on the French side. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not the only Creole in the world either. I think. Most- oh yeah, there's there's uh, loads of Creoles. Some of them with uh, up to hundreds of millions of speakers. Yeah. It it's a very fascinating and very under researched section of linguistics that very much so pains my pains my heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> At least now you know I could survive in Moscow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you passed my linguistic exam. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take French whenever you can, or do Duolingo. Duolingo is a little intense too. They really made that, that owl like a, like a needy X, you know, if you mm-hmm. don't do Duolingo for like one day, you get the notification. You may duo sad. Like, I, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I opened up Duolingo cause I actually hadn't in a, in a long while. And yeah. I, I noticed that for some reason it was, it was set to teach English for Spanish speakers. <laughs> which i was very confused as to why my why my do what i was doing like a what? year or two I, ago I, I had a similar experience i wanted to learn catalan which is a oh yeah which is for catalonia and and mm-hmm. kind of spoken in spain and um i clicked on the course and then the course was fully in spanish as if i was a spanish speaker trying mm-hmm. to learn catalan so I guess they didn't get to the part where maybe an English speaker <laughs> wants to learn <laughs> Catalan yet. So uh, I put that on hold. Um, 
I've been advocating for a Haitian Creole course. Actually, they, if, I think if there is a language that it's not very well known, they'll actually pay you to come and contribute to the course. Or I think it's either paid or volunteer. And I tried to get my parents to volunteer because I'm not going to do it. Catalan's <laughs> <I wasn't laughs> yeah, very high on my list of languages I want to learn. Yeah, so. Uh, I actually will be going to Barcelona with the uh, UCF studied abroad uh oh that's so cool my friends or at least i'm hopeful too as long as like covid uh 22 doesn't come out no don't knock on some wood knock on wood <laughs> you know throw some salt over your shoulder do everything okay don't walk under any ladders please we're very superstitious on the island <laughs> <laughs> But I want to thank you both again so much for doing this. I actually really did learn a lot. Now I know if I ever go to any Eastern European house, I'm going to bring some flowers, maybe <laughs> a bottle of wine. Okay, you're not going to find me coming empty-handed. Make sure uh, the flowers aren't in a uh, numeral of three. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. That's, uh, that's very bad luck. Oh, okay. What, why do you guys hate the number three? What, what did three do to you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like a you give it you give like odd like uh numbers to uh like for funerals like for for grieving or I think it's like has something to do with like dying and death. So what happens if you're at an odd age? Are people just afraid for your life? Like if you're turning like <laughs> or fifteen or twenty one? Oh no, it's just the flowers. Oh, <laughs> if, if you're turning 15 or 21 at like an odd age in like Russia or Ukraine, uh, you have bad luck because you were born in Russia or Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all of these fun facts. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for me. So I'm, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Yeah, you too. too. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with us. Mm -hmm. No problem. I apologize if we uh, got sidetracked. (laughs) It's okay. I love sidetracking. Sidetracking is my favorite. Okay. A huge thank you to Adam and Kat for being part of this podcast. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you. And even a year later, as I was editing it, I still thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And thank you, all you listeners out there for listening to this special episode of Culture Shock. Culture Shock is an Eritagio production. Eritagio is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to spreading cultural awareness one story at a time. So you got to hear some of Adam and Kat's story today on this special episode, but I have a whole bunch more episodes where I detail my story as an Haitian American. I have other guests. I plan to have other guests like this. I also do YouTube videos on cultural awareness, whether I am reviewing different movies that focus on a specific culture or talking about culture in general. So if you think you have a story under that umbrella that you'd like to share, please go ahead and slide on into my DMs on Instagram. That's at sign H-E-R-I-T-A-G-I-O. Once more, that's at sign H-E-R-I-T-A-G-I-O. I would love to meet you and I would love to hear your story. Until next time, y'all. See you later.